Welcome and good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. Uh, it's a great day of the year this morning. We've already started off with a great uh, sunrise devotional. Uh, the Dorier men did a great job leading us in that at the uh, Azalea Park. Uh, that, was, that was just a lot of fun and it was special. Um, and so thanks to those who set that up. My name is Drew Mines. My wife and I lead the church here. Uh, my wife's name is Jenny Mines. I haven't looked yet, but I think she's right there. Yes, she's right there. Um, my wife and I, we've been leading the church here for uh, going on six years now. And uh, we, love, we love Charlottesville, and uh, we love uh, Easter. Uh, it's a great day. Um, used to wake up in my, I have an Easter basket from the Easter bunny, of course, and uh, with a big uh, chocolate bunny that I would endeavor to eat all in one day. But uh, it was always a great uh, special day in the Mines family. We'll be in Luke 24 today, and the title of the sermon is Christ Breaks Through. Uh, Today's the most important day uh, for any Christian. Uh, Today is the day sort of on which everything hinges. Uh, Everything else, without today, it's just really Christianity is just a philosophy. It's just a suggestion. Um, It's just an extracurricular activity. But today changes the whole thing. Makes it a horse of a different color, if you will. Uh, Christianity hinges on this day. But what really happened on this day? And we're going to actually look at that a little bit this morning in Luke chapter 24, which has already been read to us by the kids and, and, and Mark as well. But it's actually funny, I was uh, waffling between this passage and Colossians 1.15, which is the passage that the Goulds read. Uh, so anyway, the Spirit works, and uh, we, got, we got plenty of both this morning. Um, a lot of people, the interesting thing about Jesus' death, um, it's a very important thing, and my wife and I were able to go to Israel last year, or two years ago, rather, and we were able to visit what's called the garden tomb. And a lot of people think this is potentially where Jesus could have been laid. We don't really know um, for sure, as opposed to the other uh, traditional site, the, uh, the sepulcher um, there in Jerusalem. And you kind of go in there and people wait in a long line to look at uh, nothing, really. Uh, no one's in there, but everyone waits to look inside just to make sure. Uh, that he is, in fact, not in there. Um, and I don't, I don't, he never is, I don't think. Um, but it's interesting, all four Gospels, as was already mentioned, all four Gospels seem to exist simply to tell this story. And everything else is sort of, it's uh, extra to be able to give you background on this story. It's all for this story. And all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell this story story. And they all tell it a little bit different. It's four perspectives, four beautiful artworks, same perspective, or sorry, different perspective of the same event. And uh, one of the things that's incredible, um, this was actually one of the things that helped me really come to faith as a young man, was looking at the resurrection. I grew up in a very uh, religious family, great, uh, great parents um, who love God, still love God to this day. And, um, but one of the things that really helped me come to a faith of my own was an analysis of uh, this day, Easter, three days after uh, the Passover, three, day, or three days after Jesus' crucifixion, the day after Passover. And um, our world is an interesting world because something like this just kind of sounds, it can sound like a scam or it can sound like it's just easily fabricated or just, just a myth, sort of like the Christian myth. And we live in a world where uh, marketing is everywhere. We watch commercials all the time. And everything is made. Actually, I was staying up late last night to write this sermon, and uh, I was kind of dozing off. I was watching the, 
had the game on, had Rockets Jazz on, kind of on mute. And as I was doing my sermon, I saw like four commercials in rapid succession, all fast food commercials. And the, the burgers all looked just outstanding, just incredible. And, it, and at 1130 at night, you know, it looks even better, you know, uh, sort of like, wow, look at these. These look so juicy and, and full and massive. And then I thought, you know, but if I really were to go get this right now, would it really deliver? Uh, would it really look like it does in the commercial? And, you know, we live in a world uh, where sometimes things don't always deliver. This is very sad. Uh, a lot of you are struggling in your faith right now looking at that. But yes, we live in a world where packaging, marketing, selling, even in the news cycle, spinning something. Uh, truth is hard to come by. You got to check your sources. You know, you can't can't just believe whatever you hear. You got to check your sources. You can't just believe the packaging. You got to look underneath the packaging and see what's really going on in there. Uh, and so even we, my wife and I bought a car recently, you know, and you can't just believe what people say. People will get really have strong opinions about things. You got to do a lot of research. Yeah. What's really going to be under the hood here? Um, but interestingly about our, our world, I believe, is that as I talk to more and more people my age and younger, truth is less important than it used to be. And it's interesting how many young people I talk to, people even my age, that say, you know, I don't really care what the truth is. I just want to be comfortable. Um, and so when they look at something like Christianity, they say, what does it teach? Do I like what it teaches? If I like what it teaches, then I'll follow it. If it makes me comfortable, I will follow it. If it does not make me comfortable, I will not follow it. This is their reasoning. This is most of our reasoning, by the way. And most of the things we do in life, because we live in the culture we live in, teaches us to think that way. Uh, it teaches us to, we are the consumer. We live in a, cap, like the, you know, a capitalist society. We are consumers. Everything we do is consuming. And so when we think that way, we think that way about, about Jesus. And truth, you know, we think, we're taught that truth is relative. Everyone has their own religion. Everyone has their own faith. Everyone, just do what you want to do. You know, different strokes for different folks. You do your thing. I do my thing. Let's not, let's all, you know, the word tolerate is thrown out a bunch. We want to tolerate everybody, everything, all the time. And there's some good there. We take that to an extreme. What are we really doing? Uh, what is really true? Uh, what is really the truth? And a lot of times, especially at UVA, I like to ask this question. Um, the people that I talk to, I, I like to ask, do you believe in absolute truth? And most people will say no. Um, but then I try to go straight to physics and I say, well, do you believe that there's absolute truth in physics? Like gravity. Do you believe that gravity will always be gravity? Like if you walk off the side of the building, do you believe that gravity will take, you know, take control of you? And they go, well, yeah, you, know, you can trust those laws. But they believe, yes, we believe in absolute truth in regard to physics, but everything else. And I began to, I like to think through, I think a lot of times we don't think that we think as long as we can just kind of keep it compartmentalized, we won't ever have to deal with it. But if we ignore the laws of physics, uh, we will suffer injury. We will suffer harm. If we go above the speed limit, uh, if our kids don't wear a helmet on a motorcycle, you would tell, you would, wouldn't you grab them and say, stop? Wouldn't you, if your kid was sprinting into, into the street, wouldn't you stop them? You would, and you would do it with, with great enthusiasm um, because you understand the laws of, of physics. And so the question has never been, do you agree with Christianity? The question has always been, is it true? And that makes us uncomfortable. You just squirmed a little bit, didn't you? I don't know what's true. I don't know. We all can believe what we want. Hey, let's go to lunch. You know? um, is it true? Is it true? If it's true, that's all we need to know. And that's actually very easy from there. If it's not true, it's also very easy from there. Um, you know, a, a moderate church, a, a famous Christian scholar who says, 
It's much safer to have a, uh, a saloon on a street corner than a liberal church. I'd rather have the saloon than the liberal church any day of the week. You know, I mean, it's, it's actually safer because it's not lying to you. And so my, my hope today is that we can actually try to come to a sense, and I'm not going to be able to do it in the next nine and a half minutes. But what I want to encourage you to do is take a look at this event and come to a decision. Is it true or is it not? Because you will, in the, the slings and arrows of this life, you will have to come back to a bedrock, to something that, un, that is unshakable. When things are difficult, when you lose friends, when you lose money, or when you gain friends, or when you gain money, when you gain kids or when you lose kids, when things change, you have to go back to that, that unshakable thing. And we cannot rely on the packaging. We can't rely on what our culture tells us. Um, we've got to do the digging ourselves and find out what really happened on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago. And we're going to read a little bit in John, or sorry, Luke rather, Luke 24, about what happened. Something incredible occurs. Now imagine writing this, let's say for a second, that we all decided to make up a religion. We decided that Christianity was going to be our religion. We remember this guy, Jesus, from 20 or 30 years ago. He's going to be our guy. So we're going to, we're going to write a book and to perpetuate a lie and to perpetuate something, or at least maybe, maybe we actually believe it's true, but we're going to perpetuate this lie. We're going to build it. And here's, our, here's the best thing we could come up with in Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and all the others with them uh, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. Uh, Celsus is a, uh, he doesn't like Christianity. And Celsus writes a polemic, basically, an, uh, he writes this, uh, this piece of literature to attack Christianity in the 100s in the second century. And he says the thing that is most embarrassing about Christianity is that the entire thing is built on the testimony of hysterical females. And at the time, a woman's testimony was not admissible in Jewish court of law. They were, it, was, it was useless. So as we're making up this fake religion, you know what we're going to do? Let's pick the most reliable, upstanding character. You know, no, you know what? It's the, pers- the people who encountered the absent tomb, the most important day in the Christian faith, are a handful of women. And not just women, but women of pr- probably ill repute. <clears throat> former prostitutes, former very uh, obvious sinners. Why in the world choose them? There is no reason to invite more criticism if you're trying to make up this thing. You've already written about your leader who was so successful, he died on a cross. 
And his, his leaders, the guys who are trying to like write this religion to like build themselves up, are the ones who abandoned him. The ones who don't believe, even after Peter's like examining the linen, hmm, what happened here? He's your number one guy, Jesus, and he has no idea what happened. The women, and then you have the testimony built on women. There's something there. There's no reason to invent something like that. The only way you have something like that happen in all four Gospels is if it was true. There's no, no reason to invent something like that. There's no reason to bring it. And Celsus jumped on it, right? It's embarrassing. Hysterical females. Well, hold on. If you read the whole thing, there's a lot more that's embarrassing in the eyes of the world. Jesus' death. Now the leaders are squat. They're, they're split. They don't know what to believe. They're struggling. This is not the most appealing religion I've ever seen. It doesn't, it's not promising, I don't know, like peace and faith. And even the day of, even the day of hope. This, today's supposed to be a day of hope. If you read the resurrection accounts, I don't see hope. Everyone's confused. In fact, in the Mark account, Mark 16, it says the women were very afraid. And the angel says to them, go tell people and go, go meet Jesus in Galilee. The very next verse is the women told no one. This is great, right? Look at all. Read them all. It doesn't look very like a uniform, a fake. It doesn't look like the package of the Pop-Tarts on the out. You know, it does, it's not trying to sell anything. We have these women who encounter the empty tomb. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people believe, uh, and it, one of the things that's also very encouraging about this instance is that of all the literature we have, extant literature from that time, no one opposes the empty tomb thing. It would have easy just to come out and say, hey guys, you're saying the tomb's empty. It's actually not. We just went and Jesus' body is still there. Christianity over. No one refutes it, which means that the tomb must have been actually empty. And so if the tomb is empty, there are a bunch of different things that can flow from that. There's a logic stream we can go through. I don't have time this morning, but I want to encourage you, look at the facts of the case. And what is reasonable to you about what happened? What is most likely to have happened? And if we can divorce ourselves from only following things that we agree with or that make us comfortable... Uh, that, that's a very scary world, but that's the world we're continuing to live in as we see. That's a, for me, that's a scary government. A government that says, if there is a God, he's way out there. We are the end of authority. We are the be-all, end-all of authority. We are. We will know what is best. We will know what is right. And God, sure, you can go to him on Sundays if you want, but he's not doing anything here and now. We are. That's scarier to me than leaders who once a week, twice a week, three times a week, Bow down and say, God, give us clarity. Give us vision. I believe you have a son and we want to follow his footsteps. Because we have a misunderstanding here. Jesus had these guys with him for 12 years telling them what was going to happen. We talked about this last Wednesday. When Jesus is arrested in the garden, if you read through it, you notice one thing. Peter, the leader, has on his belt a sword. I think a lot of us know, even people that don't know Jesus that well, Know probably that Jesus wasn't really uh, pro-sword. Even people that have never read the Bible aren't like, I think he was a military leader. No one thinks that. But here's Peter with a sword on his belt. In fact, most of them had swords because they were expecting a certain kind of victory. They saw Jesus. They heard him speak. They heard him preach. But they still, they, they, they heard it, but they didn't really hear it. And they were not expecting him to die. 
They weren't expecting a suffering servant. They were expecting victory. In the same way that we expect victory, the victory of the world, and it is palpable. Turn on the news today. Um, it happened this morning, I say, with, 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 with a somber note that um, we're, as a church, we're raising money through special contribution for our brothers and sisters in India. This morning, if some of you saw the news, over 200 Christians in Sri Lanka were bombed this morning at church. Uh, and the number is still climbing. Um, you know, actually, a lot of you guys know the De Los Santos. They led the church here for a bit. They actually led the church in Colombo, Sri Lanka, until uh, recently. Um, they were there. I mean, we're still waiting to hear if anybody from our sister church was, was killed. I mean, this is... We live in a world where authority and power is dominance. It is violence. It is putting people down. It is making fun of them. It is marginalizing. It is being smarter. It is being more intellectual. It is being tougher. It is might is right. It is all this. And that's not the answer. And Jesus comes with a different kind of victory. And they don't see it. Jesus comes to change the trajectory of the entire world. And his most dedicated followers don't see it. Props to some of the sisters. Because they're showing up with some spices. Three days after the corpse has been rotting. Which can only really be described as extreme devotion. You know, when... After three days of being in a hot Middle Eastern tomb, they bring spices, by the way, to cover up the smell. How much did these women really love Jesus to be able to do that? And yet they still did not understand what kind of victory he would have. Now, in Luke 24, 13, we're going to keep reading about an instance that happens on the road to Emmaus. Now, we've just left Peter. He's at the tomb going, hmm, trying to put this together. What happened? What really occurred here? In verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus in Luke 24, 13. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, the other person's probably his um, wife, by the way. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But here it is. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels and who said he was alive. Then some of our own companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Notice it was interesting how they said we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Jesus' followers were, were downcast, gloomy. Their hearts were bruised. They were done. It is amazing how quickly they were done. Just a few days, but they're leaving Jerusalem. I don't really know why. Maybe they're just staying outside Jerusalem, but I think it makes me think about how quickly you and I give up. I thought about that and I go, man, these guys, how could they? But I think about myself and how easy it is for me not to, how easy it is just for one or two things to go wrong in the morning before I start thinking, oh man, can I really even go to church? 
And I preach here. Um, <laughs> oh, can I really go at this point? It's just all, just, just cash it in. How many times does something have to happen before we just, we give up? Right. But they're not, they're not, you know, it's interesting. They're mad at Jesus. Don't you understand what's really going on here? And Jesus is like, no, apparently not. Please tell me. Please fill me in on what's going on here. And Jesus says in verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that is all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on, on, on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned once, at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, the first point was talking about, did this really happen? The second point is, what does it mean? What does it really mean? You know, at this time when this book was written, most likely Nero is the Roman governor. And Nero, at that time, it probably could seem to a Christian. Now, Nero was famous for uh, burning Christians on fire at his garden parties for, lan- for lanterns. And Nero uh, persecuted the Christians heavily. And it would have been easy to think as a Christian, it's over. We're done. The powers and authorities, the rulers of this country are so enthroned. They're so entrenched in their power. We'll never be able to be out of this. And even, it's amazing when Jesus dies, it is, now remember, Peter says, I'll be with you always, Jesus. I'm, I'm never going to quit you, right? I'm never going never gonna to leave you. And Peter actually pulls out his sword to fight when Jesus is in the garden. So Peter's ready. It's only after Jesus says, put down your sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. It's then that Peter leaves. It's then because that's not the kind of revolution Peter wanted. Peter wanted power. He wanted authority. Even remember James and John at the Last Supper? Who will sit at your right hand? Who's the greatest? Who's going to be uh, Secretary of State? Who's going to be Attorney General? Who's going to be in your cabinet? Who's going to ride your coattails into authority and prominence? And Jesus is constantly saying, that's not the kind of victory that I'm going to bring. I'm coming to turn the world on its head. I'm coming to show that there is no longer, that, that the, way to, the way to power, the way to success, the way to life, the way to peace, the way to true fulfillment is love. It's self-sacrifice. It's suffering. And as they're, they're, they're heartbroken that Jesus failed. These guys, Cleopas and his wife, they're heartbroken that Jesus failed. Jesus goes, ah, don't you see? Don't you see that the Son of Man had to suffer? Don't you see that this is the way it had to be? I was never going to bring a, a victory like that. And as Christians, this is the most difficult thing for us today because when we live out Christianity, and it happens a lot, right? You try to do the right thing. You try to live it out, and it can seem like a drop in the stinking ocean. It can seem like, what's the point? What's the point in making my kid or helping my kid pray? It just seems like, what's the point in trying to be sexually pure? It's just the whole world is just given up. What's the point? What's the point in trying to 
really love my spouse? What's the point in trying to really dig in my heart and read scripture? What's the point? Where's the victory? It just seems like I do this year after year. We have an Easter service and you tell me there's hope and I don't feel it and I don't see it. The only way I can get hope in my life is if I do it. My bootstraps, my hard work, my schooling, my PhD, my master's, my experience, my motherhood, my fatherhood. You come talk to me. And Jesus says one thing in the Gospels more than any other, and it's deny yourself and go grab a cross. Follow me. And they go, yeah, who are we going to beat first? Jesus goes, deny yourself and go grab one of those crosses. That's the kind of victory we're going to win. Jesus never writes down a single word. No other religion can say that. No other religion can do that. Jesus, Jesus lived a life and died a death so powerful. It caused a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of women who were, had reputations that were not ideal to live and change their lives, to, to die for him. And I want to encourage all of us to, to go after the same thing that, these, that this couple went through on the road to Emmaus, when their eyes were opened with the scriptures. And as their eyes were opened, they go, it must have been Jesus. Remember how our hearts burned within us. And for many, many of us, Jacob, as he shared his testimony, and as Nancy shared her testimony, they remembered. You could see it as they shared it. When I studied the Bible, I remember when my heart burned within me. As Jacob goes, I entered those studies trying to prove them wrong, and they destroyed me, as he put it. They destroyed me. They laid me out, right? They taught him what? Humility. They taught, Nancy said, it was me. I had all the answers. What Nancy was trying to say, but I realized it wasn't me. I didn't have all the answers. Humility. When we all come to Jesus, we all can go grab a cross because we're going to we're going to go live a life that the world will not understand. But don't get it wrong. The world desperately needs it. And Christ is breaking through. Christ is breaking through. And I know it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but Christ is breaking through in our world. And his victory can be seen and needs to be seen by us. Suffering Christians, Christians who are hurting, Christians who need help. You know, Christ is breaking through in our world, not even just on the local level, but at different times. I remember reading about even the apartheid in South Africa and how hopeless that seemed. It just seemed like civil war was inevitable. Every night on the news in the 70s was civil war that's coming in South Africa. But there was a guy named Desmond Tutu. And, there was, and he brought a lot of Christians together of different races. And they went on, knocked on doors of people in government and said, we've got to read the Bible. We've got to use scripture. And I know South Africa is not a paradise now. They're still struggling through things. But I remember when it was supposed to be this civil war. I was reading about this. And, but you know, they had this great they had people of all races, of all classes praying together. And it was because Desmond Tutu and a lot of Christians said, let's go to the Bible. We need to have a different kind of victory. Not of power and pride and authority, but of humility, devotion and love. One that Jesus brought on the cross. But Christ breaks through. Christ is breaking through at our, our camp in Philadelphia. Amen. You know, a lot of us know about the camp up in Philly. A lot of the brothers and, uh, went up and actually did some maintenance on the camp. But every summer, those kids, you know, they come in and you can see Christ breaking through. It's a place where they realize, and at school, I mean, our, if there's a place, if there's a, a thing in our nation that needs a victory that looks like humility. If there's a place in our country that needs a, 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 hum, a humble victory, a Christ-like victory, it's our education system. 
And you guys know a lot about that. And the kids, the kids at school, they see a lot of these things. They see and they interact with prejudice. They interact with racism. They interact with talking about girls a certain way, talking about boys a certain way. They, 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 they're, they, they're taught pride from a young age to do it yourself. Do, it, do what you believe. And it's got all oh, the kids got all oh, this world, this spiritual battle all around them swirling, attacking at every angle. And then at camp, you see, it's beautiful. You get to see them learn about humility. Learn about love. And not self-serving if it makes you comfortable love. Deny yourself unconditional kind of love. The love that changed all of us. The love that, despite our sin, held tight and held firm. That he had a chance to call 10,000 angels. He knew you would sin and he did not waver because it's unconditional love. Jesus was uncomfortable in his love for us. Surely we can do the same for him. You know, Christ breaks through. Just yesterday we served the poor. We delivered food to some low-income housing. And the kids of the church came. And they didn't even need us. They had the, Miles had the clipboard. And he was like, I got it from here. <laughs> he said, what's your name? What are the notes? You, your, you, know, you got to make sure you fill out some paperwork. Here you go. Next one. You know, the kids came and they would say it together. Food pantry, they'd yell it together, and people would come to the door. And when I open the door, they're like, thank you. When the kids are there, they're like, oh, changed my month. This is beautiful. So I'm, i got to bring them more often, you know, instead of me. But Christ breaks through, and it may not seem like much. But here and there, we've got to open our eyes, just like on the road to Emmaus. We've got to have our eyes open to Christ is breaking through. And the world needs Christ's victories. He, the world needs to see humility and, and love and connection. Today of all days, you know, the Christ breaks through. We have a world that right now is trying to figure out how men are going to treat women and vice versa. And it's very, and we're trying to do, we're trying to have a, a moral compass. And I get it. And it's an awesome thing about sexual assault and rape and these things. And we got to, as, as men, we have to take a look at that. We got to be sensitive to it, right? But I think if the world tries to do it without humility and without love, without unconditional love, it's just still self-serving and it's very confusing. You know, when you go about pursuing a man or a woman of God with humility and with love and with getting advice and with, with unconditional, I mean, it's, it's, Christ breaks through. You know, a lot of you guys know Ben, you know, you guys know Landon and Jess, you know, and, and then in Australia, right? Karen got married, but choosing to not just do whatever feels good in a relationship, but choosing to actually think what's best for her. Let me consider what's best for her. Let me consider what's best for him before I take this job, before I uh, make this, do this thing cross a physical boundary, before I cross an emotional boundary. Let me consider because Jesus considered. Christ is breaking through and it changes everything. You know, Christ breaks through in terms of conversions. You guys know Dan got baptized. Kathy got baptized. You could just see, you know, Dan, I love those. Both those are just like poses coming out the water there. Just like, yes. Um, but Christ breaks through. And a lot of you guys know that, you know, Robin Tiffany Jeffers, you know, converted many years ago in the Hampton Roads Church. Every Christ breaks through in the legacy of families. Right. And Dan's going to have some kids someday that are going to become Christians. It's going to be awesome. It's a little ways away. But Christ breaks through. You know, Christ There's some night, but nighttime baptisms here. But Christ breaks through. Whether it's in Harrisonburg or Charlottesville. Christ is breaking through in the world. And I want to encourage us, church, to realize your classroom, high school students, middle school, they need you guys. They need you guys to be like Jesus. 
They don't need another procedure. They don't need another get, uh, get rich quick scheme. They don't need a self-help book. They need Jesus. Our workplaces need Jesus. Our families. Man, how hard is family? Our families need Jesus. And the beautiful thing about this, this remembering this weekend is you don't have to have the answer. You've got to be humble and realize that Jesus does. I want to close out with a verse, Psalm 27. Sorry, Psalm 22, 27. This is the psalm that Jesus quotes on the cross. And then we'll close out with a song together. All to the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of all the nations, I love that, all the families of all the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Jesus quotes this, the beginning of the verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The end of the verse is we will declare this to to a generation yet unborn, he has done it. Church, Christ is breaking through. And if, if, we're, if we're not a part of it, let's talk about what it means for us to be like Christ. Not to be the answer, but to try to facilitate the true answer, which is Christ. We're going to stand for a final song at this time. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen.